0: Good afternoon ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the third installment of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. This podcast is all about breaking down and discussing the weird and crazy baseball stories, stats, plays, and players that we've seen since the start of the MLB over 100 years ago. Well we made it ladies and gentlemen we finally made it to the MLB postseason after this slightly abridged baseball season. If you don't know, the AL wildcard series is set to air four games starting as soon as September 29th, with the NL wildcard series starting September 30th. This season, if you haven't heard, the postseason is honestly quite a bit different. The playoff bracket has been expanded to 16 teams, meaning that a team that is 500 or a game below 500 or somewhere around that range has a chance of making the playoffs. Even crazier than that, the wildcard has been pushed from having just these one-off games to having a series that is a best of three. The MLB is trying to still finish the season before November 1st, however, which means there's going to be a lot more baseball per day. On top of the four games in one day on September 29th to kick off the playoffs, you'll be able to watch eight games on the 30th because the AL wildcard will continue on to game two on September 30th and the matchups will all start for the NL wildcard as well. Trust me, I'm slightly confused by this format too but I just want to point out the strange seeding that's going on for these wildcard games. Basically game one is going to be between the number one seed division winner out of the AL who will then play the lowest seeded wildcard team, or basically the team in eighth place. So I guess when you think about it numerically, it's not that strange, because it's the number one seed playing the number eight seed. And then the second highest seed will play the second highest rated wildcard team, so it'd be the seventh place team. So second place plays the seventh place team. This is kind of an unconventional way to do the wildcard. I mean, usually the division leaders go straight into the division series and never have to play the wild card. Well, not this year. And then all of those teams in the middle just meet up. So the third seed will play the sixth seed. The fourth seed will play the fifth seed. Got it? Okay, good. I mean, there will be a test at the end of this podcast, so, you know, you you better. (laughs) But... After we get all done with all of the AL and NL Wildcard series craziness, you can expect the playoff bracket to look fairly similar for the uh divisional series and the championship series um, to start again as soon as Monday, October 5th. Alright, so what are we gonna talk about today? Well I've been doing a lot of thinking about playoff baseball as many baseball fans usually do around this time and I've been watching a lot of old archived games that have really cemented the magic of the fall classic in the hearts of baseball lovers. One such game that comes to mind is the 2018 National League wildcard between the Colorado Rockies and the Chicago Cubs. Now not only was this game so strange and so wonderful, but I think it also really helps to define what a perfect wild card game should be. I mean, it's the battle of two fantastic teams really putting their hearts out there with the hope to advance deeper into the postseason and getting a chance to fight for the commissioners trophy. I mean, it's a perfect example of two perfectly matched teams that don't want to have to sit on the couch and watch their rivals play in the postseason. Not only that, but this game was all around just historic. The postseason race in 2018 might have been some of the toughest and tightest competition that the MLB has really ever seen. What I mean by that is the regular season ended with four teams tied for the lead in their division. It was the Colorado Rockies tied with the Los Angeles Dodgers for that number one spot in the Western Division, and then the Chicago Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers tied for that number one spot in the Central Division. So both divisions had to hold a game 163 for the teams, which resulted in a loss from the Rockies and the Cubs. However, both the Rockies and the Cubs still had the best records out of all of the other remaining teams in the National League, so they both still earned a spot in the National League wild card game. This was the first time ever that such an anomaly had happened, with both teams losing their initial tiebreaker, that game 163, and still making the wild card. And not only that, but this was the longest winner-take-all game in MLB postseason history, and that's including Game 7s of the World Series, Championship Series, Division Series, any games that were deciders. The game went on for 4 hours and 55 minutes, spanning the entirety of 13 innings that chilly October night. The best part about all that? <laughs> well, the game ended with the Rockies prevailing with a whopping 2-1 to victory. A little crazy, isn't it? I remember watching the entirety of this game and remember being on the edge of my seat the entire almost 5 hours. I mean, it seemed like the game both went by really quickly, but dragged on just mentally. To the point where it seemed like you lost about 7 years of your life just because of all of the stress that was going on. Anyway, here's a quick rundown of the game. So, the Rockies started off the game really hot, with Charlie Blackman walking and advancing to third off of a DJ LeMahieu double. The double, however, would start just a whole chain of strange quirks in this game too, because it ended up getting stuck in the vines in left center field. Now, there are no other ballparks that this could really happen. It's just because Wrigley Field has that really thick vine all along their outfield fence that this kind of thing can happen. So the ruling on the play when the ball gets stuck in these vines is technically a ground rule double, which basically just means that the ball is unplayable for the fielder. And, you know, and that makes sense because that way the fielders don't have to try and find it in the vines. However, obviously it could have meant another run if it had not gotten stuck or somehow popped out. Nolan Arenado would then hit a sacrifice fly that would score Terry Blackman, giving the Rockies a 1-0 lead. The craziest part, I think, about all of this, and I think to really exemplify just how evenly matched these teams were, is that that was the only run scored in seven innings. It wasn't until the eighth inning before another run was scored. I mean, the entire game was what could only be described as just a pitcher's dream. A pitcher's duel, even. I mean, both Kyle Freeland and John Lester threw absolute gems. Lester had nine strikeouts with one earned run before he left, and Freeland got six strikeouts without giving up a single run. But anyway, flashback to the sixth inning, where the young David Dahl would miss a routine pop-up in right field. And I know that's not really... Something very strange, but it's definitely not something that you see every day, especially in the major leagues. And I know that such a blunder, especially in the wild card, could be credited to some crazy nerves. And, I mean, David Dahl was not the only one. Ian Desmond would get cut down at second base trying to tag up from first base on a shallow pop fly to left field. Maybe not the best decision, but... I mean, it kept the Rockies within one run, and then Jubitera. Now, don't get me wrong; Jubitera is an extremely experienced catcher. He come in in the later innings to replace Chris Iannetta um, as he made way for the new pitcher Adamonovino. Later on in his appearance, Adamonavino actually had a pass ball, a breaking ball that got away from Jubitera. The pass ball would move Albert Almora to second base, and then it would bring up Wilson Contreras, who would draw a walk later that at bat. And then Tommy Listella came up to the plate, for what can only be said as another just kind of strange moment. On a 2 1 pitch, Listella grounded one back to Adovino, who threw it to first, and that should have been out number three. However, on the swing, Tommy Listella ended up hitting the new catcher Drew Beter's glove which automatically put the runner on first base in a strange rule called catcher's interference. With bases loaded, however, Oviedo still managed to work out of it. But, you know, already things were looking kind of scary for the Rockies. The very next inning, Daniel Murphy and Javier Baez turned a double play that I think provided even more controversy after the game than it did during the game. The play was very strange because it had Drew Terra running two second and sliding in. And from pretty much every angle, even according to Javier Baez, who was the one that turned the double play in the first place, it looked as though Drew was safe. However, the umpires upheld the call and the Rockies were held quiet once again. I I later found out the call was upheld because the umpires decided that there was no undisputable evidence to overturn the call. So that put it right back into the Cubs' hands to try it once again. After a stolen base by Terrence Gore, Bias would hit a double that would score Gore and end up tying the game in the 8th inning. After a pretty quiet 9th inning, we found ourselves going into extra innings. So the 11th inning rolled around, and with it, I think, probably the weirdest, and still to this day, one of the most controversial plays in wildcard history. On a 2-2 pitch, with one out and runners on first and second, Wilson Contreras hit a soft ground ball to Nolan Arenado. Now, as he went to throw the ball to turn the double play, Javier Baez, who was running on contact from second to third, ran into the throwing path of Nolan Arenado and ended up hugging him. (laughs) Now, this hug accounted for, well, one out because Nolan Arenado just ended up just tagging Javier Baez, so he got the lead runner, but there were still runners on first and second after the play had finished. Now, if you haven't seen this play, that was later coined as Huggate, it might be one of the weirdest things you can watch. I mean, Arenado didn't attempt to hug Baez, but was sort of wrapped up by him and then just kind of, you know, threw his arms around him, you know, but he still wasn't able to throw to LeMahieu at second base. Now, it wasn't called for interference since Arenado technically was in the baseline, but it was just a strange anomaly. So the 12th inning came around, So the 12th inning came and went with only one real change. Scott Oberg had come in to replace Wade Davis for the Rockies, and Tony Walters had replaced Drew Butera behind the plate. So already, the Rockies were on their third catcher of the night. Now, something kind of interesting about Tony Walters was that during the regular season, he was only hitting 170. I mean, he had only played in 74 games, but he was still hitting 170. But he still managed to deliver one of the most clutch hits of the game, a single that went straight up the middle that would score Trevor Story on third, finally giving the Rockies the advantage going into the Cubs' half of the 13th inning. Into the bottom of the 13th inning we go with the final, and I promise me, I mean final strange call of the night. So remember Terrence Gore, who was the one that stole the base and ended up scoring the one run for the Cubs? So he was back up to bat. Now, Terrence Gore is not really known for his hitting. He's more known for his speed. So, he was really just trying his best to get on base. And Scott Oberg ended up throwing him some, as they call it in the business, high cheese. A pitch that came up and hit up by his chin. Now, at first glance, it looked like the ball actually hit Terrence Gore in the arm. But, but the umpires actually decided to review the play since it would mean putting Terrence gore on first base and they actually found out that the ball hit the very end of the bat instead of his arm like it hit his arm but it hit the bat first therefore it was just a foul ball absolutely craziness so Terrence gore would end up striking out and then two outs later the game was over And that right there was five hours of pure mayhem. (laughs) The point that I'm trying to get at here is just how exciting postseason baseball is and how excited we should be that postseason baseball is finally here. I mean, it's the time that you get to see these teams, maybe even for the first time all year, put it all out on the field and fight like they've never fought before. You get to see these crazy performances like a catcher that hadn't even played half of the season, hitting 170, being the hero for the Rockies. And I don't don't think I am the only one to say that I am truly excited to see the postseason this year. I'm excited to see what the Fall Classic brings to us this year. The Fall Classic is a tradition that has excited baseball fans since the first ever postseason all the way back in 1903. And I believe that it will continue to do so just because it is when baseball is at its best. So on next week's episode, we will be pretty close, baseball-wise, to the division series. So we're going to take a look at some incredible divisional series and championship series games where MLB teams of the past had really made their names and cemented themselves into history. We'll talk about the David Freeze game. We'll talk about Game 5 of the 2015 ALDS and various other strange and quirky and, well, frankly, unbelievable moments that will help us get excited for the rest of the postseason. Thank you for listening.